You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. Perhaps it, it might come as a surprise to, to some to learn that, that the distinction between happiness and, and joy, it's actually a relatively new invention. It's something that, that I myself even learned just a few years back doing a deep dive study on this topic of, of joy. I'm not sure that pastors have taught well on this, to be honest with you. This idea that, that happiness is an emotion that's fleeting, joy being a deeply rooted disposition of the of the heart, and yet not only did men like Spurgeon and, and Wesley use the two words interchangeably, as did many of the Puritans, but but too, in sitting with the, the scriptures themselves, we find that, that the biblical writers used words like happiness, joy, gladness, delight, and blessing interchangeably. In fact, there's no passage of scripture that pits happiness against joy, as if one is shallow and fleeting, the other deep and rooted, as if happiness were joy's younger, less mature kid brother. So that the the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, verse seven, in describing the gospel, describes it as the good news of happiness with the angel of the Lord going on to proclaim to the shepherds the gospel as good news of great joy. Meaning that the, the story of Christmas, it's, it's not a story about joy that cares nothing about happiness. It's not a story about joy that cares nothing about delight or gladness of heart. I, I share that because Psalm 126 uses the language of both joy and gladness, even laughter, in helping us to see uh, what God means through his mighty hand of redemption to form in his people. A psalm uh, to which I I find myself incredibly drawn this time of year as we explore what it means to be a people living in that already and not yet time in between. A communal lament, Psalm 126 is. It's a song that sings of the joys of redemption past while too expressing the honesty of a longing for the joys of redemption future. If you pick up Psalm 126 in verse one, the psalmist declares, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The psalmist begins this song with a a remembrance of the past, a recollection of God having poured out his uh, restorative blessing in in a pinch me, I must be dreaming kind of way offering us nothing in terms of specific historical backdrop, no mention of a particular crisis, as is oftentimes the case in the Psalms, giving space for us to explore it for ourselves. So that some argue for the, perhaps the return from Babylonian exile, as the language of restored fortunes is used that way in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse three. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you and he will gather you again. There's that language of coming back from exile, from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Others argue that that the language is perhaps more general, like what you see in the book of Job. Job chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord, here it is, restored the fortunes of Job 
when he had prayed for his friends and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. It's really hard to say with with any real degree of certainty uh, which of the many memories the psalmist might be recalling here. After all, Israel's hard and happy history is filled with stories of redemption and and restoration, whether famine or siege or, or plague, the mighty hand and outstretched arm of the Lord always working to bring his people through. Regardless of the the situation, the the response of God's people, it was one of laughter and joy, having tasted of the Lord's restorative mercy. See it elsewhere in scripture. You see it in the story of the the Exodus, the song of Moses after having experienced God's deliverance from the Egyptian army. Exodus chapter 15, verses one and two. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. See it in the life of David. In the lyrics of his own great song of deliverance in 2 Samuel chapter 22, where we're told David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. These are just a a couple of the many examples of God's people filled with songs of joy and laughter in the wake of the Lord's great pinch me, I must be dreaming acts of rescue and redemption. The psalmist recalls a a time like that when he stood amidst a laughing, joyful people, a people having been restored to the living God, a God who transforms dreamers into singers, you might say. A song of laughter and joy that notice the onlooking world couldn't help but notice, verse two. The nation's declaring, the Lord has done great things for them. We see it. The psalmist continues in verse three. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Notice that the language shifts from past tense to present tense, from we were, verse one, to we are, verse three. We are glad. The recalling of of God's wondrous acts of redemption past, fanning into flame a a present tense joy. It's one of the, the more often forgotten spiritual disciplines, isn't it? Remembering. Looking back on the, the past tense expressions of, of God's goodness and grace until joy and laughter are the song of our hearts. Knowing that, you could put it in these words, joy has a history that past redemption and, and restoration inform present happiness. And yet, and I love this, though an often forgotten spiritual discipline, it's one that cannot be ignored this time of year. You can't go into a big box store without hearing songs of the birth of Jesus. It can't be escaped. This looking back on the the gift of redemption past in the entering of Christ into the slums of our broken world. One of the greatest pinch me, I must be dreaming moments in all of redemptive history. 
which helps to make sense of the words that the angel of the Lord spoke to the shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. Many of you know these words. Luke chapter two, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The, the Bible, it's filled with the language of joy. The word joy in the English translation showing up more than 200 times. More than 200 times, the word joy. That doesn't even take into account the synonymous words of happiness, gladness, and delight. And yet the phrase great joy is incredibly rare, requiring only 10 fingers to count the number of times that, that such a phrase shows up in the Bible. Taking on a crash course really quickly to see how significant these moments are that get described that way. You see it in the anointing of Solomon as David's successor to the throne, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 40. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. You see it in the restitution, or excuse me, reinstitution of the Passover after years of neglect. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 26. So there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. See it in the days of Nehemiah and the dedication of the rebuilt wall in Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. You see it in the, the wake of Jesus' resurrection, Matthew chapter 28, verse eight. So they departed quickly from the tomb, that is the empty tomb, with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. You see it in the wake of Jesus' ascension. And they worshiped him as he ascended into heaven and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You see it in Paul and Barnabas describing of the inclusion of the Gentiles in this plan of salvation. Acts chapter 15, verse three. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. You see it in Jude's describing of what it is to be brought into the presence of God as his redeemed. Jude 24 now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And we see it in the story of Christmas. Not only in the, the angel of the Lord's announcement to the shepherds, but too in the wise men seeing of the star that would guide them to the newborn Jesus. Matthew chapter two, verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy that the entrance of Christ into the, the slums of our broken world isn't simply cause for joy. Rather, it's one of the few occasions for great joy, splitting the earth kind of joy. Not only a, a pinch me, I must be dreaming moment in this great story that, that God is authoring, but one of the greatest pinch me, I must be dreaming moments in all of redemptive history so that it should come as no surprise to us. And if you were around a couple years back when we started into the book of Luke, you know this, that the earliest chapters of Luke's gospel account include four Christmas hymns. 
Mary's song of praise, Zechariah's song of blessing, the song of the angels among the shepherds, and Simeon's song of thanksgiving. Christmas, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. It's not, it's not simply a story to tell. It's a song to be sung with gladdened hearts. And people on the other side of Jesus's birth have been doing just that for roughly the past 2,000 years. Like the psalmist, looking back on the, the past tense expressions of God's goodness and grace until joy and laughter are the song of our hearts. Looking back on the, the pinch me, I must be dreaming moment of redemption past and gift in the birth of Christ in this desperate for salvation world in which we live. Going back to last week, the, the great joy of, of God and sinners reconciled and that the baby in the manger would go on to die on behalf of covenant breaking rebels like you and me that we might know the joy of forgiveness from sin's penalty, that, that we might know the joy of freedom from sin's power. Ultimately, that we might know the, the joy of Christ's presence, Jesus himself, the, the greatest joy, the preeminent treasure of his redeemed. Joy has a history, past redemption informing present happiness so that it makes perfect sense that when we sing of the birth of Christ, we find the, this joy, this gladness welling up within us oftentimes. And yet, as I mentioned earlier, Psalm 126 is a communal lament. It's a song that, that sings of the, the joys of redemption past, yes and amen, while too expressing the honesty of a longing for the joys of redemption future. As the psalmist continues in verse four of Psalm 126, he says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap in shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The, the, the psalmist's remembering of God's former outpouring of mercy leads him to cry out asking God to pour out his goodness and grace yet again in the midst of present sadness and difficulty. She just feels honest, doesn't it? I mean, there, there are actually more lament psalms than there are uh, psalms of praise, believe it or not. Lament psalms making up roughly a third of the book of psalms. It's a declaration that, that sadness is undeniably part of the human experience. You don't need me to tell you that. Our hearts weighed heavy by the difficulties and sorrows of what it is to live outside of Eden. For many of us, the sorrow greater this time of year than, than any other, the sadness sadder, the dark nights of the soul darker. The psalmist cries out to God, asking God to, to pour out his goodness and grace yet again in the midst of present sadness and difficulty be it sudden or, or slow, flood or field. I love this both and imagery that he gives us. On the one hand, you have the, the imagery of the Negev, verse four, being that of a, a network of dry valleys situated in the, the arid desert region of Judah, which at times was strangely known to experience flooding, the mountain soil un, unable to uh, absorb significant amounts of rainfall so that uh, rain would be sent crashing below into rushing streams. That imagery communicating something of an immediacy on God's part. 
in pouring out his blessing upon his people. Psalmist cries out for God to pour out his mercy powerfully and suddenly, like a flood big enough to create streams in a dry desert place. And sometimes that's what God does. And many of you have stories that tell of God doing that in your lives, flooding your heart with the spirit in an all of a sudden kind of way, meeting your spiritual drought with the, the rushing waters of his presence, bettering a hopeless situation with seeming immediacy in a way that, that you could never have seen coming. Absolutely no toil on your part solely the floodgates of heaven opening. We should pray for that expectantly, that God would bring streams of, of restoration and renewal, turning the desolate land into a bed of flowers. Believing like the psalmist that, that God at times moves like the rushing waters in the Negev. And yet, if we're honest, we, we know that God doesn't always work that way, right? There's a reason for that second word picture. At times, God inviting us into the process of our own renewal, like a farmer sowing seed, verses five and six. That imagery of a harvest reminding us that the sheaves don't come overnight. That sometimes our restoration and renewal comes through a, a long, arduous season of faithful, tear-filled labor and trust in the Lord. The psalmist declaring that, that those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. That, that with God, every dry place has the potential to become a river. That with God, every seed of sorrow has the potential to become a field of joy. May not be in this age. Maybe in the age to come. Which too is part of the hope of Christmas. The, the promised joys of redemption future, that, that the same Jesus who made his appearance in a lowly manger 2,000 years ago will come again in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, powerfully and suddenly, like the rushing waters in the Negev. And with his return, the ushering in of the greatest happily ever after the world has ever known. For those bringing deep sorrow into this place this morning. Hear me when I say that the song of Christmas comes with a promise that consummate joy, consummate gladness in God are just up ahead. So don't lose heart. That's part of the Christmas message too. As we sing on occasion, that there's a river we will know ever clear and ever full from the fount that overflows in the light of the King. And when we drink it, we will find that this joy, the song should be changed, this great joy ever full will ever rise and it'll rise on in the kingdom, in the kingdom. For the consummate joy of the second advent, we wait with the anticipation, I hope, of a child waiting for Christmas. And as we wait, sing we must. Even if our song is an intermingling of, of happiness and, and tears, as the Apostle Paul himself wrote so honestly, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Charles Spurgeon in one of his sermons once said, man is like a harp unstrung 
and the music of his soul's living strings is discordant. His whole nature wails with sorrow. But the son of David, that mighty harpist, has come to restore the harmony of humanity. And where his gracious fingers move along the strings, the touch of the fingers of an incarnate God brings forth music sweet as that of the spheres and melody rich as an angel's song. The touch of the fingers of an incarnate God brings forth music sweet. And that's, that's the kind of song that concerns itself with a looking back in joyful celebration and looking forward in hopeful anticipation. Perhaps it glorifies God all the more that we sing as the tears fall. Again, I would remind us that Christmas is not simply a story to be told. It's a song that must be sung. And so we're gonna do that. We have to do that as a, a rhythm in this place corporately. We're gonna sing together just moments from now. And I just invite you to, to sit with that, that both and, the tension, to not run. As, if I'm honest, I'm tempted to do this myself. I, I wanna set aside the second coming of Christ till December 26th and then concern myself with hopeful anticipation. I don't want anything to mess with my Christmas season, my Advent season. I want joy alone and pure. But that's not the reality of human experience. And so I just invite you all, as I wrestle with it myself, to sit in that both end, that tension of what it is to look back with the shout of a hearty, glad, amen, hallelujah, that Christ was born into this world, that he could then die on behalf of sinners like you and me, but to also be open to the honesty of lament in looking forward to a joy that can only be found future when Jesus returns to set it all right. We'll also have an opportunity to receive of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to partake of the bread and the cup, but rather that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you wanna talk about what that even means, I would love to connect with you in the back of the auditorium over these last few songs or maybe even set up a time to meet in the coming weeks. If you are a Christian, as many of you know, we take the bread representing the broken body and we dip it in the cup representing Jesus' shed blood. As, as I sat with all the, the hurt and the sorrow and the brokenness that, that is within me and around me, um, I found myself looking back on the death of Christ in his first coming with a great joy, if for no other reason, then it, it sets the stage for there to be any hope in his second coming. And so if that's the best you can bring to the table in terms of looking back with, with the joy within you is thank you that this sets the stage for something better, that's okay too. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.